Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday evening Bible class of the Laurel Church of Christ. My name is Paul Wharton. We're continuing our study in 2 Corinthians. This evening, we will be studying from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 through chapter 3, verse 6. I'm hoping everyone had a, a safe day today with the weather element that was out there. It certainly was um, predicted, and as usual, we had the Washington hysteria. But um, we're here this evening, uh, nestled in our homes and safe, and we're about to begin our class. So thank you so much for, for joining us this evening, and let us pray. Almighty Father in heaven, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for this weather, Father. It lets us know who has the power. Father, we ask that you will be with us through this study this evening. We ask that we can help one another, edify one another, and most certainly follow the path that your son has left us. Thank you again, Father, for all the blessings that you have provided for us. This is our prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As we continue in 2 Corinthians, our first reading this evening is going to be taken from 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. So if someone would turn over to there and uh, certainly put your hand up, I will call on you and we will have that reading done. And we'll have Brother Floyd Fowler. This is Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'll be reading from the New International Version. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Thank you very much, my brother. That's a very interesting group of verses there. Last week, we had a question about empathy, and we were talking about empathy is placing ourselves in a position to try to understand a person's emotions or their feeling at a particular time and to support them in that. As we look through here and think about what Paul is writing in those verses, let's think about how empathy would apply here. Let's look again at verse number seven. Verse seven says, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that you will not be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. Now this is talking about when there has been a wrong committed, a sin has been committed, the correction has been applied. But Paul is letting us know in these situations, Let's don't, let's don't carry this on. Let's don't let this drag on. And while someone turns over there to Mark 11:25 and someone else to Luke 17, 3 and 4, let's, let's think about that. How we can, again, moving back, showing that comfort, and certainly comfort is used in this set of verses, and we can place ourselves in a position of having made a mistake, 
and wanting forgiveness, seeking that forgiveness. But as Christians, we have to continue to allow ourselves to show the love that we have for one another and not carry that additional time or that additional burden and transfer it to a person. Who has Mark 11.25? Okay. How about that, Brother, brother Hook and Tam? I like that. <laughs> you want to do so? Okay. Uh, where am I? Mark 11, verse 25. And whensoever ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against anyone, that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, if we applied that, if we applied that to every occurrence that we come into, we would do just what Paul said there. It's been done. It's been forgiven. Let's move on from that. Let's don't lay that burden or continue that burden on them. Okay, let's look at Luke 17, verse 3 and 4. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Who would like to read that for us? Oliver's, good evening. Go ahead. Go, Rich. Okay. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins again, you seven times in a day, and seven times uh, comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. You know, that sounds so easy, doesn't it? It just, I mean, it just sounds so easy. If your brother sins and repents or asks you to forgive him, forgive him. Forgive him and move on. But as we see in 2 Corinthians here, that was possibly not the case. Possibly not the case. And as we look through there, Paul tells these Corinthians, listen, I'm not there with you, but if you have forgiven them, then I forgive them. I'm not going to stand in judgment on something that affects you most. But I'm going to take your word as my brother, as my family. You've forgiven them, then I forgive them. Let's look at verse number 11 there for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11. It reads, let me go back to verse 10 and come all the way through there. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, that's, <laughs> that's a very interesting thought. You know, think about how does this happen? How do we become a victim of Satan's plans? Now, if, if you would like to respond, you can either respond with a chat button that all of us can see, or you can raise your hand and I'll call on you. You can just tell us what you're thinking. How can we become a victim to Satan's plans? Okay, Rich, go ahead. Okay. Uh, when, when we don't forgive others. When, when we don't forgive others. Um, Glenda Gregg, I believe I saw, did you put up your hand, Glenda? Well, it's back down. But we can fall victim of Satan's plans, one, when, when we don't forgive others, 
or when we try to hold on to those problems. You know, holding on and being unforgiving is a lot more weight on us than it probably is on the other person. And Paul's encouraging these Corinthians there, when there's a problem, once a problem's resolved, let's move on from it. There's a great comment, bitterness creeps in. When you hold on to those things, that bitterness, that strife starts to get, and all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, well, what happened to our relationship? I don't know. They're kind of acting a little funny. Paul tells them, you forgive, I forgive, let it go. Let's look at our next uh, group of uh, passages that I'd like you to read. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12 through verse 17. If we could have a reader for that, I'd appreciate it. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. Anyone? Vaughn Harvey. Boy, we got a lot all there at once. Come on, Vaughn. Actually, it's Ruby. <laughs> well, pardon me. He's here Hi, now. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Uh, verse 12 through 17. Yes. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives, captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we, are, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the, one, to the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Thank you very much, Sister Ruby. Your voice is so clear. Thank you. Now, let's, let's think about that and look at the first part of verse number 12. The answer to this question. What led Paul to go to Troas? What led Paul to go to Troy? Again, you can either click it into your chat button, or if you raise your hand, I'll call on you and you can tell everyone. What led Paul to go to Troy? Let's Nicomus, he's an evangelist, and he's there to preach the gospel. Okay, yeah, but why, why did he go? Do we know why he went? What does it tell us in verse 12? Let me read verse 12. Now, when I went to Troy as to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. As was said, Paul was an evangelist. He went there to preach. He says that God had opened this path for him. But also he was going to Troas to find his colleague. He was going to Troas just so that he could see Titus. And many times as we travel and we have specific plans for things, those plans get interrupted. And Paul says he didn't have any peace because he was expecting to find Titus. Titus wasn't there. 
And so he decided he, was, he wasn't even gonna stay. He was just going to continue to move, head on down to Macedonia. Now, what else do we find as we look through here? Let's look at verse 17. How about somebody read that for me? Read verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, someone. All right, fire tablet, who is that? Go ahead. It's Ray. Oh, <laughs> how are you? Good. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 2, 17. Yes. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Let me ask you that. Is, is Paul bragging or is he complaining? What is Paul talking about there in verse 17? Anyone, either chat or raise your hand. I'd like to hear someone speak their opinion. Raise your hand. Let me call on you. Is Paul bragging in verse 17, or is he complaining that he's, he's not collecting any money for his ministry? Smith family, go ahead. Okay, let's unmute the Smiths. I did. Am I unmuted now? Go. Okay. Brent and I were saying that he's neither bragging nor complaining, but he is making the comparison and just saying, like, the importance of why they're preaching the gospel and being rooted in Christ. Very good. Neither. He's just, he's just stating something. Paul's commitment to the gospel is greater than any, anyone that's recorded in the New Testament. Paul had a specific, I, I wouldn't even call it a goal, mission to spread the gospel. And he was going to do that in spite of any conditions. Uh, Bobby, go ahead. Go. Hello. Hi, it's Candace. Okay. I think also, it's really important that at that time, there were uh, people who are making money, who are profiting off of uh, selling trinkets and statues and all kinds of things um, for their God. I'm, I was looking for it really quickly where there was a big uprising because um, the silversmith that was selling statues for, I think it was the goddess Diana, and he wanted to put, um, I think it was Paul, in prison because he was... Um, he was jeopardizing his his livelihood. And mm -hmm. so he was also making that distinction that this is not about money. This is not about making a living. This, this, you know, I don't need any money for this. That's not what this is about. Absolutely. And now the, I'd say the biggest distinction there though, those that were, uh, fashioning these these idol gods, uh, they certainly were um, uh, angry with Paul for disrupting that and proving that these gods were nothing more than pieces of, of metal, wood, and stone. But one of the things I think we want to keep in mind is there were preachers that were there that were being paid, that were Remember Paul describing himself earlier that he, he wasn't really 
good looking. You know, he he didn't have a good speaking voice. And because Paul was really kind of poor, you know, he just he just really did not look the part. And what some of the Corinthians were most interested in is they wanted their preachers to look good, and they didn't mind paying them. If you will recall, because Paul, along with Priscilla and Aquila, were funding themselves in their ministry, that was really kind of looked look down upon. And as so many times, and you know, I think probably there's someone that's listening out here now that's probably been a place that they worship and there seems to be an unusual concern about the eloquence and the appearance of the minister. I'm just saying, this was the same thing that was happening back in Corinth. They wanted, they were a big metropolis. There were wealthy people there. They wanted someone a little bit different than Paul. But Paul wasn't giving up and letting them know his commitment to them wasn't based on money. His commitment was based on the Lord Jesus Christ and him delivering that message to them. I dropped in another question right there. Um, you know, and I think we've already answered that. What was Paul trying to say? But do you think Paul was getting a little bit tired? Was he kind of upset? How, how, do you, how do you think? Well, let me ask you. Again, we're pulling in that empathy. How do you feel when someone either dismisses or marginalizes the work that you produce? You thought it was good work. And they said, well, yeah, okay, who's next? How do you feel there? Okay, Smith family. Go ahead. I think he was, like, passionate about that purity of the gospel and the fact that I think when whenever money enters the picture, there's a political power that comes into play where – they can accept or not accept what they want because they're paying for it. And Paul realizes that the gospel is for everyone and that purity of everybody coming together under Christ's blood um, is so above what people can imagine until they experience that unity. And so I think Paul is just so passionate about everybody experiencing that purity of the gospel. That's, that's a very good point, and I like that word, passionate. We find people in every walks of life, people that you work with, um, sports persons, uh, you know, different professions where they just get really wound up and revved up when you're talking about some particular thing that they have great interest and have committed to greatly. Paul was like that. Paul had passion. And sometimes when our passion isn't met with an equal or greater passion by others, we do get, and I saw a little, I saw something jump up on chat a moment ago, we do get deflated. You know, we, we get a little bit discouraged. And I think as all of us have had the opportunity to to do different things, to have challenges at work, to have challenges at home, to have challenges in the church. And as it moves forward, sometimes we lose sight of how others are affected by our attitudes, by the things that we do. Whether you have passion for it, or whether you are a little bit indifferent. So let's think about that as we come to others. Uh, I see Bobby has her hand up. Go. 
Hi, it's Candace again. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to uh, circle back around to the, the last uh, point regarding Paul, and that uh -huh. is that one of the things people may not realize in reading the scripture is that Paul was a Roman citizen. I mean, he he was from a very affluent family. He was a uh, a, a Pharisee, I believe, you know, he was, uh, he gave up a lot of uh, his, uh, I, I, you know, his family money, I guess you will, because if you remember, you know, when he, when they were going to come and bring him and put him in jail, and he was like, you know, you lock me up, I'm a Roman citizen, and, and said, and when, and when the guard said, oh, I spent a lot of money, you know, to get my citizen, he says, yeah, but I was, I was Roman born. You know, so he was very, he was actually a very affluent family. So um, he, you know, he, I, I, he wasn't really poor. I mean, he lived meagerly because he gave it up, but he actually wasn't poor. Well, um, that's, that's an interesting point. I think I'm going to do a little more research on that. But let me say this. As, as Paul was carrying out his mission, as Paul was evangelizing Asia, Rome, and, and the known world at that time, Paul had to make tents to survive. And in doing that, that was one of the, um, how should I say, more, more common and common being not so good um, occupations at that time. But Paul wasn't going to let anything stop him from moving throughout uh, the world and evangelizing all those that were willing to hear him. So I think, and again, that passion that Paul had from time to time, he, he may have been discouraged because people weren't making their focus the same as his. People weren't committing themselves. And again, that's why we get this letter of 2 Corinthians. The people that had been converted had decided maybe it was a little better for them to, to be more social and to, to continue in the ways that they had been living. And as we go farther, we're going to see where Paul uh, certainly corrects them on that. The last section of reading that we're going to have this evening is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you would just put up your hand, I'll be more than happy to call on you to read this. All right, Harvey family, go right ahead. How do you like that political correctness? Are we beginning, well, first of all, let me say, it is wonderful to hear uh, the voices tonight. Uh, I miss everybody. It's, it's really heartwarming and touching me a certain way. Uh, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ, through Christ before God, not that we are competent in, competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Amen. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. You know, I think that 
those verses really cut to Paul's passion. As he starts out, you know, Paul saying, do you think I need a letter of recommendation? Do you think I need somebody to vouch for me? Why do I need that? But Paul made it clear very, very quickly. He didn't need any letters of recommendation. He didn't need any reference. He didn't need someone to come before him or, or to announce his coming. Not to them. No one had to say what kind of work he had put in. Why? Why was that? Why didn't anyone have to speak about the level of work that Paul had put in? Either hit the chat or, or comment directly. His work spoke for itself. Amen, sister. Not only did Paul's work speak for itself, what did, what did he tell them? What did he tell them about him? That his work was evident, it spoke for itself, because they were the results of his work. Not someone else. They were. And so many times, I think, if we will look at situations, we'll find out that the proof is really in the proverbial pudding. Most of you know I'm in the construction industry, been in there all my life. The construction industry probably is one of the last industries that you get judged, you get paid, you get promoted by what's done. Yeah, it's good to talk about it, but you need to build the building. And Paul was letting them know that he had already not just laid the foundation, but he had built on that foundation. And they were the proof of his work. And that his confidence came from God. It, it didn't come because someone was patting him on the back or someone was saying, Paul, you're just a wonderful man. You're a great preacher. Paul's confidence came from God. And he wanted them to know that as a part of this new family, under this new covenant, that they had that same privilege, that they had that same honor to be a part of this family and to know exactly what was happening and what had to do in order for them to be recognized one to another. Paul lets the Corinthians know that in order to share, in order to partake in this new covenant, you can't do that on your own. We have to remember that each day in our lives. If you recall Brother Cook's lesson from, from this past Sunday, which I thought he was talking to Renee and I personally. Our hope, our confidence has to be built on the Lord Jesus Christ. The way we live, the way we conduct ourselves, it has to be patterned after the life of Christ. And when we don't allow ourselves to depend on God, to build our faith on God, then we find ourselves lacking. As we look through here in these first few verses of 2 Corinthians, and it's talking about comfort, 
It's talking about forgiveness. It's talking about support one for another. We really have to look inwardly and make sure that we're using every occasion for that very, for that very thing. Are we trying to build each other up? Are we allowing our hope to be in Christ? Are we placing it there and keeping it there? And so as we go through these verses over the next few weeks, I want you to try to keep in mind all of these points. And some of the, some of the points may be clearer than others. But as you study and read through these scriptures, allow them to be applicable to you. That's what Paul was trying to do. He was trying to let the people know, the life that I live, I live for Christ. And as I live this life, I'm living it to you, before you, and for you. And let us do the same thing. If anybody has any comments, you can just raise your hand. The mic will be open for the next few minutes, and then we'll, we'll continue to move through here. Anyone? One of the things I'd like to say, too, is we're in this season of giving. You know, don't think that the the leadership, the brothers that are in charge of benevolence, they aren't um, uh, growing a list of people that need aid and help and other things. And I know that there's um, a giving spirit at Laurel, and I know that whenever uh, the occasion comes, thanks, Kev. Antoine, go ahead. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I raised my hand. I was early to read. Oh, sorry. But excuse me. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to keep that in mind, and in that same spirit of giving, call in to find out if there's someone within our family here that you can help. They'll let you know. You can put it in through them, but let's do what we can. Let's have a passion. Let's have a love one for another in this season and beyond so that we can truly show ourselves to be believers in Christ. Next week, we're going to be studying from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. We're going to pick up there. And we're going through verse 18. And so I want you to be careful. I want you to be safe. Uh, there won't be any snow out there tomorrow, but there will be plenty of ice. So uh, do, your, do your best to navigate if it's nothing more than from your bedroom to the kitchen. And I look forward to this. I thank you one and all. Thank you for your participation. And the brothers will take the service from here. Thank you. All right. Good, good night, everybody. Uh, certainly want to thank uh, Brother Wharton for his teaching and his guidance, his enthusiasm uh, and his sharing tonight. Um, certainly uh, enjoying uh, the discussions in Second Corinthians. Uh, thank you, brother, and um, may God bless you and keep you 
uh, and your entire family. Um, as we prepare for our devotion tonight, let us go ahead and sing song number 517, Heaven Came Down, uh, songs of faith and praise, song number 517, Heaven Came Down. Let us sing. <clears throat> Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend, he met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling, he made all the darkness depart. Oh, heaven came down, and glory filled my soul, filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, made me whole, my sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Now heaven came down, and glory Fill my soul, fill my soul. Born of the Spirit, we lie from above into God's family divine. Justified fully through Calvary's love, oh, understanding is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made when as a sinner I came. Took of the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me of praises, their name. Oh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul, filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, made me whole, my sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Now heaven came down, and glory filled my soul, filled my soul. Now I've a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure, there in those mansions sublime. And it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I believe. Riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I receive. Oh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul, filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Now heaven came down and glory Fill my soul, fill my soul. Thank you for that song there, Brother Antoine. Good evening, Laurel family. This is Brother Sean Holt. I have been tapped by the deacons for the opportunity to uh, share a few words of devotion tonight. Um, I'd like to thank the deacons for uh, providing me this opportunity. Um, our deacons, uh, they work in conjunction with our elders to form a cohesive and mature leadership. Um, they do a ton of work behind the scenes. And they are the, really the lifeblood of functionality around uh, the Laurel congregation. Um, I mean, I love our elders to death. Like as much as I love and respect Elder Thornton, I don't wanna see Elder Thornton shoveling snow in the parking lot or three stories up on a lift in the sanctuary making a repair to the overhead projector. Not saying that he's not capable or not saying that our deacons are some expendable resource to be put in harm's way at a moment's notice. I'm just saying that they're good at taking care of a ton of thankless tasks. And before I put my mouth, my foot any further in my mouth, let's get to the devotional. Um, Brother Cook has been preaching a series uh, recently on doubt and faith. Um, some of the things that I've been uh, been personally affecting me from these sermons, or I've been personally getting out of them, is dealing with and coping with all the challenges that we faced over 2020. I, there's no reason to 
go through the laundry list of things that are out there. Um, and one of the things that 2020 has think has shown us all is that we uh, we can't control what happens to us. We can only control how we react to the things that happen to us. Um, I started looking at that based off of Brother Cook's series in, uh, in Doubt and Faith um, and saying, what are the components of the things that um, allow us to deal with the everyday challenges that life has provided? A different set of challenges seems like every week um, in the year 2020. And the components that I came up with is Christian maturity, um, preparation through study, prayer life, and faith. Now, you could teach a whole class on what constitutes the composition of Christian maturity and a proper prayer life. Those are their own classes for 16 weeks. Um, but what I thought of is some uh, excerpts from a sermon that I prepared under the watchful eye and expert tutelage of Brother Cook mustard seeds that moved mountains. Um, thinking in this topic, and just like I say, gleaning just a couple of points right quick, I decided to think, what is faith first and, first and foremost? And of course, there's a Church of Christ scripture that I think you have to know it to be in the Church of Christ. Um, that's just a joke. Um, and we all can quote it. We go straight to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Um, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Um, we know that faith is important. If we go down to verse six in that exact same chapter, it lets us know that, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Um, I think about these two scriptures and throw it in conjunction with, and thanks to our brother Paul Wharton for going through Second Corinthians, but Second Corinthians five and seven, um, jumped in my mind um, when dealing with that, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I look at these scriptures in a cohesive fashion to fashion the point of faith has to become the vision or our eyes for our Christian walk. Um, we know that our physical vision is the things that we consume visually on a day-to-day -day basis, especially when in 2020. Um, it's, it's makes it so easy to become distracted, discouraged, disgusted, dismayed, or disconnected. We know that it's just easy if we use our physical eyes and the things that we see going on around us. These scriptures, to me, challenge us to see life through the eyes of faith. Think about the perspective that we would gain on some of the things that can upset us emotionally if we looked at things through the eyes of faith. Another quick point, thinking about faith, dealing with that, um, is without faith, without strong faith, it can impact our ability to reach our spiritual potential. I look at a, a direct example of this over in Matthew 17. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in Matthew 17, but when you get to the towards the end, um, just looking specifically at verses 17 through 20, um, this is when the uh, disciples were failed to be able to cast the demon out of the child. And it reads uh, right quick. And I brought him to, the, to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generations, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto mountains, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I take two points from that. The first is showing that even the apostles who were given the spiritual gifts to wield with their own hands sometimes had a faith problem. Now, I'm not saying that I take this as encouragement to justify having a weak faith or having weak moments of faith, but seeing this as an example that as each one of us is striving and praying and working hard, when our faith falls short, 
that we don't become discouraged and start heading the other way. Old preacher told me one time, I'd rather see people limping in the right direction than running in the wrong one. But being encouraged that God is faithful to always provide us an escape and that our faith won't be overcome. And we get this encouragement also uh, is supported in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Um, and I know we're coming from 2 Corinthians, Paul, but this one just fit beautifully from the Apostle Paul. There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation always make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So just with these couple of thoughts we have here, let's all stay safe and stay connected as much as we can out there. Um, we hope and trust and pray that everybody is safe and sound out there. And uh, like I say, thank you again to the deacons for this opportunity. And also thank you, Sister Cook, for making sure that as a man, I never think more highly of myself than I ought to. I appreciate you. Y'all have a good night. I turn it back over to the hands of the brothers. Amen. Yield not to temptation. Yield not to temptation, oh, yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdued. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for once again allowing us to gather around our computers and wherever we are to study from your word. We thank you for Brother Paul and the lesson he has brought, for Brother Antoine and the songs that he sang, for Brother Sean and the lesson he also brought. We ask you to be with those who are here listening. We ask you to be those who, for whatever reason, could not join us in this. We ask you especially to be with Brother Cook as he prepares for his lesson this coming Sunday that he may bring a lesson that many people will find very useful. We also ask you to be with Brother Brent as he also prepares for a lesson this Sunday. Be with us, keep us safe. In Christ's name, amen.